It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West standing by. Jennifer Griffin from the, from the Pentagon in just a matter of moments. Uh, it is a disturbing day as the last flight uh, officially left from Afghanistan, from uh, Karzai Airport. And someone should tell General McKenzie this is not a glorious time. Uh, he's smiling, uh, saying, yeah, we left a couple hundred people behind. I don't even know on what planet and what country we're in when it's okay to leave a couple hundred people behind, when we have on record the President of the United States saying he won't do it, but had to be baited and berated to admit just that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He would not look us in the eye. There was not an ounce of sympathy looking at his face. It was a, he tapped her on the knee and said, I know what you're going through. I lost my son. It was more about his son. My son wasn't mentioned. It it was his his son and about him and nothing to do with the 13. Uh, America's new gold star families are enraged by the way their kids died and what President Biden said and did in private. And they are not shy about talking about it. More on that later. Number two. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Oh, you lied. Uh, How do we get our people back? Who are exactly uh, and who exactly is left behind? We need answers, and I'm not convinced anyone of the administration cares to ask, but we will. Number one. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. Humiliation. Uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you shine a light, you see massive screw ups and flat out incompetence in the Biden bunch. They complete this in a way I could not believe the Afghan retreat is now done. Officially doing the unthinkable, doing what the president said he would not do, leave Americans and allies behind and lose a war. We won almost every single battle. Superior technology took them down in a matter of weeks, held for 20 years, decided to leave and give away before we left. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, he's uh, lived his life in the military in and around, private contractor after he served. Uh, and now he's uh, in and out of politics. Colonel, this is a sad day. Can you put a perspective what this means in American history? Sure. Let me put it in. And it's good to be with you, Brian. You know, 20 years ago, a young girl was born in Afghanistan and she grew up knowing what it meant to be free, to, to not have to worry about uh, being a sex slave, not have to worry about being raped, being able to go out and get an education. That's how she lived for 20 years. And now all of a sudden that is gone. And I think that this is a black eye on the face of the United States of America. And I don't understand generals like McKenzie that can stand up at a table or at a podium and and be seemingly gleeful about announcing 
an embarrassing withdrawal, a retreat, a defeat of the United States of America. If I had been him, I would have said, I'm not doing it. You get someone else to stand up there and say this, but this is a stench in my nostrils. This will go down without a doubt. It is worse than Saigon in 1975. It's going to be even worse than Barack Obama pulling us out unilaterally, uh, preemptively out of Iraq, because now we have shown that we don't have the will, we don't have the courage, we don't have the staying power, and it's going to be a very dark few years because we have given them a terrorist sanctuary. No question. And the thing is, the more you look into the details, the angry, angrier you get. For example, you mm-hmm. know, we thought that the Afghan government would hold out for at least a couple of months. Some said a year. But when when Mazari Sharif start falls and they thought there was going to be a big stand when Kandahar falls and they thought they were going to make a big stand. And as they reinforced Kabul, somebody started tapping people on the shoulder saying, just don't give it up. Don't fight today. To the point where well, when the Taliban arrives, they don't want to. They didn't intend to take the city. They call back and get McKenzie on the phone and say, we are the ministries are being stripped. Either we go in or you go in. And he said, you go in. We just want the airport. I couldn't. I mean, I read this Sunday. Now they expand on it. And it's even worse. They tried to deny it. And the spokesperson, Jen Psaki, said, I never really read that story. But no one told Ron Klain, who said, I still agree with the decision. So they can't even deny it because the chief of staff just reinforced it. We made the right decision not to defend Kabul. Is he crazy? Well, there's a cacophony of errors that goes through this entire thing. It's not just the military side. It's the civilian side. And so the American people have to ask themselves when we look at the fact that we're just seven or eight months into this administration and look at this major strategic blunder, this major foreign policy and national security uh, mistake that has happened. You know, what are we going to do for the next three and almost a half years? Uh, How is our relationship going to be with China? Uh, How is our relationship uh, with Russia, Iran, and all of these others? We are seen as being in a sense of weakness right now. And truly, Brian, we have a White House. We have a Pentagon. They're confused. And I don't think that anyone can believe them, and definitely our allies don't. Look at the U.K. and how they're responding. Look at France and how they're responding. NATO has to be really concerned, but then look at Taiwan, look at uh, the Ukraine and these other countries. They don't think that these guys are going to have their support and they have their back. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, he's running for governor of Texas, uh, but we have a, he's got a, a, so many areas of expertise to talk about. So a couple of things. So – we know that they took the airport, and because we had the airport and the Taliban provided the security, there was a bomb threat. Twelve hours ahead yeah. of time, we knew about this bomb threat, and we couldn't stop it. Now, if you're one of those 13 Americans who lost their lives, one of the 18 struggling to keep their lives in Germany right now, Ramstein, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about this Washington Post story that says we had it, we could have had Kabul, we could have flown our people out, if that's what you choose to do, and instead you take the airport. And number two, you find your secretary of state so oblivious. He went to the Hamptons and the president said, does Jen Psaki put her auto reply on, went on vacation. The president goes to Camp David, can't even put a jacket on to go to the situation room. And now nobody's around, including the secretary of defense. If your job as General Milley, as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is to evaluate the strength of your forces, of allied forces, how could you not evaluate the strength of the Afghan forces who you helped build for 20 years? What do you say to that, Colonel? 
Well, again, you say that there are just so many mistakes and blunders here, and there's a whole list of people that should be stepping down, but of course they won't. There should have been constant briefings on, okay, where do we see the strength of the Afghan military? You know, what's the status of, of you know, this corps or this uh, commando unit? What, when was the last time that they went on a combat operation? What's their personnel strength? Do we have an issue with desertions? Uh, all of those things. And we should have had the intel that was looking at the infiltration routes of the Taliban coming back over from Pakistan. But again, why would you do all of this, number one, in the middle of campaign season? Uh, why would you not think about the worst uh, possible course of action that could happen, which is a complete collapse of the Afghan government and the military, which is what we saw, and come up with the contingencies to make sure that that didn't happen? Right. But the biggest thing, uh, Brian, is why did we give up Bagram Air Base? Why did we give up Kandahar Airfield, where I was stationed for two and a half years? Why did we give up Herat? airfield, all of those places that regionally we could have used to extract Americans and our Afghan allies out of there instead of having one central yeah. point that we gave over to the Taliban to control. So I want you to hear what General McKenzie said in a cheerful press conference, in my view. And I looked at his resume. He's got a great resume, you know, helped tell, take, tell, take down Baghdadi. He was in Iraq and Afghanistan repeatedly. He's not someone new to this war. Cut to. I can tell you this, though, about what the Taliban has done. They established a firm perimeter outside of the airfield to prevent people from coming on the airfield during our departure. And we've, we've worked that with them for a number of days. They did not have direct knowledge of our time of departure. We choose to keep that. We chose to keep that uh, very information very restricted. But they were uh, actually very helpful and useful to us as we close down operations. Really? Could you tell that to the hundreds, maybe thousands of people they turned around and punched out? Can I tell that to some of the, to the pregnant woman that's an American? Uh, they got kicked in the stomach uh, and was told to turn around. Uh, and then after being waited for three hours, can I tell that to the van full of, of Afghan students at American University that were turned mm -hmm. away at the gate? Uh, and left for seven hours and then threatened afterwards because their names were released to them, according to The New York Times, released to the Taliban. I mean, what's he talking about? I have no idea what Gerald McKenzie is talking about. And you're right. He probably had a great career leading up to this point. But people are going to remember you for the last thing that you said. The Taliban is, a, is an Islamic terrorist organization. They're the organization that 20 years ago uh, gave safe harbor to al-Qaeda. They're giving safe harbor now to al-Qaeda once again, ISIS, Haqqani Network. They're the reason why we had September 11th. And if you know, how can you say that they're partners with you? How can you say that you went uh, and consulted consultations with the consultations with them? How can you say that they secured a perimeter? Our responsibility is to secure our perimeter, not turn it over to them. And if they did secure a perimeter, then how did suicide bombers get through? And now we have 13 dead uh, service members and another 18 that are fighting for their lives. The American people are really disturbed with the leadership that they see right now, especially in our uniformed military, who's more so concerned about mandating that soldiers, sailors, air marines get uh, a shot. They're more so concerned about critical race theory and white right white rage, and I try to say that three times, but they're not concerned about what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan. And and I can't understand how we can have such an intelligence and strategic military failure uh, from, from Secretary of Defense Austin to General Milley down to the CENTCOM commander. There are some people that just need to step down. So this other story, for those people who say, well, the Taliban 2.0, I'm, I'm hopeful we can start dealing with them. 
Keep in mind, a video has emerged online today that reportedly shows Dr. Amin al-Haq, who served for a time as personal security chief for al-Qaeda founder Osama bin Laden and is considered an al-Qaeda chief today. They are back. They're in Kabul. They're surrounded by the Haqqani network, directly affiliated and members, essentially, of al-Qaeda. They are providing the security. So they've already violated the deal that Trump put together. One violation, the whole deal was dead. And you can't tell me. And I'm telling you right now, the greatest Trump enemy, and there's a lot of them, nobody, I believe, who knows Trump and hates him or loves him would think in a million years Trump would say, take Kabul, all I want is the airport. He'd say, don't move. I told you don't take the Capitol. I told you it's it's going to be a coalition government. And if you make another move, we bomb bomb you uh, to oblivion. No, you're absolutely right. We had a conditions-based withdrawal. And the Taliban, obviously, without a doubt, in front of Joe Biden, they violated those conditions. But Joe Biden did not have the strength to do anything about it. And it would have been a coalition-based governing. And it would have been, you know, President Ghani still there, the duly elected uh, president of Afghanistan. But what you now, the United States of America has enabled a coup in Afghanistan that has been led by an Islamic fundamentalist terrorist organization. And we're going to pay dear ramifications. And and as I have said before, here in Texas, where we have a one. 1,254-mile border that is wide open. We have these cartels who are a terrorist organization in and of themselves. They're going to be working with al-Qaeda. They're going to be working with ISIS. And all of those folks that we had in jail who have a little bit of a vendetta against the United States of America, somehow they're going to get back uh, into America through the border, porous border we have in Texas that no one, to include the governor, is securing. We don't have National Guard down there or anything. Uh, And so this is a dark day. For the United States of America, there are going to be more dark days ahead. Lastly, I, I know I'm going to uh, kill you guys, but I, I want you to hear what General McKenzie said about the last flight, Cut 26. No American citizens came out on the last, what we call the joint tactical exfiltration, the last uh, five jets to leave. Uh, we, we maintained the ability to bring them in up until immediately before departure, but we were not able to bring any Americans out. That activity ended probably about 12 hours before our exit. Although we continue the outreach and would have been prepared to to bring them on until the very last minute. Colonel West, what is wrong with him? The gates were locked. They were prevented from getting there. And this is what you do in the military. I thought, go get them and bring them back. Don't you think they want to come? Do you think we're going to force them against their will? I'm sorry. No Americans filled the seat, which is American Airlines, which uh, making sure they had enough uh, frequent flyer points. You leave no man behind, but the Biden administration has done exactly that. And just remember 1979, uh, when the Ayatollah Khomeini and the Islamic uh, Revolution happened in Iran, they held 52 of our Americans hostage for 444 days. We have hundreds of Americans, that's what we think we have, maybe even more than that, still trapped there in Afghanistan, stranded, Jinsaki. Yes, they're stranded there. They wanted to leave, and you shut the gates on them. So what are we going to do now? We should not have to negotiate with the Taliban. We should have gone in, and we should have stayed there until we got every single American out. Again, this is a dark day. This is a black eye on what was supposed to be the greatest nation that the world has ever known. We still are. We just got an imbecile and an and incompetent leadership here in America right now. Yeah, you should not be able to screw up the military. One man should be able to screw up the military like this. It's almost as if China's in charge or Russia's turning the, uh, potting, uh, potting the next strategy. Uh, Colonel West, good luck in your run for Texas governor. What's your next 
big moment? Once it, is there a primary coming up? Well, you know, thanks to the you – know, this is a redistricting cycle, so the primary will probably get pushed back later on next year instead of the first Tuesday in March. But last night we had our 100th uh, event uh, since we announced, uh, and that was on July the 4th, so we're busy getting across Texas and getting our message out. West, the number four, Texas.com. West, four, Texas.com. Go get them, Colonel. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Take care, Brian. All right, you got one 866 Bottom of the hour, the latest from the Pentagon from Jennifer Griffin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm sick of these idiots in the State Department, in the Department of Defense, and in the White House taking an opportunity to pat themselves on the back over all of this. This is unbelievable. They, they, they have lied to us. I have citizens, in you know, U.S. citizens in my district, at least seven of them right now, that are still over there. They've tried aggressively for the last week to get out of there. And that is Ronnie Jackson. Dr. Ronnie Jackson sees all level of government. Not only is he in the military, a doctor for the, uh, for the White House, for Bush, for Obama, uh, for President Trump, really likes Trump, and now he won't become a congressman. He's just outraged. He's got unbelievable connections over there, as does a lot of people who served in this Operation Pineapple that's in a third country. I'm not even going to name it, but I think I figured it out. They are personally getting people out one by one with their family. And yesterday it was announced, and you heard uh, General McKenzie twice in two separate sound bites with my previous guest, Lieutenant Colonel and aspiring governor of Texas West, him just saying, well, yeah, we couldn't get everybody out, but, you know, we had a big mission. We got 122,000 people out. Number one, I don't even believe that number. If you are just counting seats on planes, maybe that number works, but not any of those, not all those seats were filled. I mean, you heard General McKenzie. Those seats weren't filled. You saw when those two congressmen went over and flew back, those seats were wide open on the way back. That's why they shouldn't feel guilty, and that's why the condemnation was so ridiculous. The seats are open. They were able to come back. And by the way, came back and said, we should leave on August 30, which is crazy. But they actually had the message. So we left behind roughly 22,000 Humvees. Uh, we got a, a bunch of C-130s, 28 Cessnas. Uh, 33 Blackhawks, 358,000 rifles, 64,000 machine guns, 136,000 handguns, 42,000 pickups, 169 armored vehicles, including some 70 MRAPs. You know the ones that are impossible to blow up? Unbelievable. We come back. Jennifer Griffin knows all this too well. She'll move this story forward. Day one, out of Afghanistan. Brian Kilmeade, Don't move. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade there's a minimum of 100 americans who did not get out why 
Well, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, Bill. I mean, there was some, uh, a lot of efforts to try to contact them, try to get in touch with them, try to help marshal them in. Uh, some people didn't want to make decisions until uh, until the end game. I, I don't know the case with each and every one of these 100 or so that, uh, that are left. But what I can tell you is that uh, the, as a government, we're going to continue to make every effort we can uh, to help them find safe passage. Really? How? Uh that is Admiral Kirby moments ago on Fox News Channel speaking to uh, Dana and Bill uh, on Fox News. Joining us now, Jennifer Griffin, Fox News National Security Correspondent. We've seen her uh, especially more the last uh, few uh, few weeks than in, in a long time, really since the wars were started and uh, we're at their zenith. Jennifer, welcome back. What's, what's your take on his answer to, to Bill? How are we going to get these people out? Well, what I can tell you, Brian, and I just want to say that there is nobody uh, who feels good today about having left Americans in Afghanistan. Um, a little point of clarification that, that Kirby didn't uh, explain, and, and I just received a manifest of nine Americans and 15 green card holders that the government has reached out to me to try and connect with. So I do know that efforts are starting to to be made on the ground. Um, I would expect them to sort of set up some sort of land bridges using uh, maybe Qatari ex escorts, some of the, the the countries, partner countries that are on the ground that have relations with the Taliban. The Qataris really are the, the strongest, and they did a lot of work that we don't even know about in Kabul to bring Americans to the airport. The ambassador himself was ferrying Americans through Taliban checkpoints, getting them into the airport. One of the problems um, from what my personal experience was and in trying to help some Americans who were stranded is that a lot of these Afghans, they don't travel alone. So if, let's say, you are an American passport holder and you want to bring, uh, you know, many wanted to bring up to 15 members of their family, and some of, and so the Taliban, when they would get to the checkpoints, had been told that they should let any American citizens through, any green card holders through, but then they, ha they would have 15 family members who maybe didn't fall into that category. So the, the whole system kind of broke down at that point, and the Taliban didn't, didn't let these large groups through. Now, remember, the Taliban were also told by the military inside the airport that they were responsible for keeping suicide bombers out. And, and, and so this was a very delicate dance that was being done with U.S. commanders liaising with Taliban, Qatari ambassadors and, and, and other ambassadors taking personal risks to try and get Americans through these checkpoints. But in the end, it just became... Uh, a numbers game. It, as it was described to me, it was a, a calculus outside the airport. How do you get as many people through and as many worthy and people through, especially American citizens, but not open the gates to a suicide bomber? And we saw what happened on Thursday. And those were terrible, terrible, terrible decisions that you would not want to stand in the shoes of those standing at that gate trying to decide who to let in and who not to. I mean, it was, a, you know, it, it, I, I, can't emphasize enough the heartbreak that is felt inside the Pentagon and elsewhere. And I also know that they are mobilized. I've been told personally this morning they're mobilizing networks, networks that they have. They may not be American troops on the ground, but they still have networks. So just a quick thing on the actual uh, attack itself. So um, the Pentagon evidently blames Britain for making Kabul's suicide attack death toll worse 
Uh, they leaked military documents saying the gate had to be kept open for U.K. evacuees as questions grow over how many civilians were actually killed and how many were shot, I guess, when, when the soldiers started thinking the attack was bigger than it actually was. Now, Sky News says the British uh, foreign, Min- uh, foreign Secretary, Dominic Grab says, no, that is not the case. We did not ask to keep the gate open. What do you know about that? You know, it's really complicated. Um, I don't have any personal knowledge of why that gate was left open. What I do know is that the the commander on the ground, there were many instances where commanders were being put under pressure, not only from the White House, from the State Department, from the top levels of the Pentagon, to let certain people through who were all very worthy, very whether they were American citizens, whether they were British allies. Mm-hmm. And there was a constant calculation. And then those those Marines, the, the the ones who lost their lives in the end, they also were going up and beyond and trying to go out into the crowds to, to grab people out. So I think there, the, the time for getting to exactly what happened, I don't think it's a simple picture. I don't think it's one reason. I don't think it's the right. British fault that that gate was open. We saw the fact that there were not more suicide bombings is a miracle. Uh, they were ISIS was trying to get into that airport at all costs. We saw up until the last minute they had a, a car bomb that was ready to head to the airport that was taken out by a U.S. drone. There was a uh, there were the rockets that were fired. These were not one off. And there are many other instances that I know about uh, that I can't report on that of the U.S. stopping other bombers from getting to the airport. And we heard in one of the briefings, and we haven't been able to follow up on it, but supposedly, and this was according to General McKenzie days ago, the Taliban themselves stopped a few suicide bombers from getting to the airport. So it was a very complicated security situation. And I think getting ground truth at this moment uh, and putting blame for that suicide bombing, you know, there were multiple failures uh, on that day. So a couple of things also. The Washington Post wrote this story, I believe, on Sunday, and now it's getting a lot more traction today, and it's been replayed in a lot of uh, – and Ron Klain has responded to it with a tweet kind of validating and said we made the right move. But uh, reportedly, no matter how it generally came down is as the Taliban found out that it could take Kabul, they had contacted uh, us, the Americans, and they got the general on the line, uh, McKiernan, and he basically said – McKiernan or McKenzie? McKenzie, my fault. Uh, McKenzie, he basically said, we only want the airport. You take the city. What the, that Ron Klain said, no, we were not. We were not to take over the security in Kabul when the Taliban asked if we wanted to. So he doesn't regret not taking over the security. That seems to be a well, tactical error. About this. Let's think about this, Brian. You've been to Afghanistan, I'm sure, and if you haven't, the streets of Afghanistan are a warren of not only packed with a population that you don't know who's the enemy and who's not. Do you know how many – it would probably take 100,000 troops to secure Kabul. So taking over the security of Kabul, putting American troops out on the checkpoints in Kabul outside the airport that you couldn't secure, you would have 100 Mogadishus. You'd have Black Hawk Down with American troops being dragged through the streets if any one of those had been kidnapped. Or I think this is very flippant talk about how the Americans could have uh, secured the city. The Americans couldn't secure Afghanistan after 20 years. So the military did its best. They made uh, a a decision that they could protect their people at the airport while also 
carrying out an almost impossible mission and managing to get 120,000 Afghans and 6,000 Americans to safety. I don't know. I think this Monday morning quarterbacking is a bit much. But thinking about having Americans secure the city when you don't know who the enemy is and you've got ISIS and al-Qaeda and Taliban that you can't trust all throughout the city, that sounds crazy to me. But in CERN, your uh, your option was Taliban. Well, and Pro- Provide what? the security that's who what, happens to be the people yeah, who are going to blow what? you up. Well, do we know the Taliban blew us up or ISIS-K? I mean, it's splitting hairs to a degree, but do we actually know who carried out that suicide bombing? I don't. And uh, I don't even know I, who, we, who we attacked. Who exactly? We don't. They won't. The Pentagon will not give us the names of who the so-called ISIS-K planners were that they struck in eastern Afghanistan, and we don't know who they hit. But we do know there was explosives in a vehicle in the Kabul neighborhood, two miles from the airport. So this, I, I think, you know, suggesting that we know who any, who any of these characters are, and that we could have safely put American troops throughout Kabul to secure the city while we evacuated Americans, I think they made the best decision they could to have the airport, which you could at least secure. You saw what it looked like that first day. I mean, the 82nd Airborne within 24 hours got control of that airport. That's unbelievable. What about uh, giving up Bagram Airfield? What's your uh, take on that? That's complicated. I think that is a decision that's going to have to be revisited, and I think there are a number of reasons for it, but I think that that'll be the type of thing that in Hill testimony they're going to have to ask uh, the military leadership about because – On the one hand, what I know from the last four months of covering this story very closely and intently is that once the president took a decision in April to go to zero by September 1st, and it was September 1st, not September 11th, uh, then the military had to start moving. They had to start consolidating and had to start making tough decisions. They told the State Department that they were prepared, starting in May, to start evacuating Americans. The State Department stalled because, A, let's not forget, we were the first to report. The, the, the embassy had to close for a good a few weeks during that key time period because of COVID. There was a massive outbreak of COVID at the embassy. They shut down. So all the SIV holders who were trying to get their final papers, and remember, this was a 14-step process that Congress had put in place for SIV holders to get visas. So the process of getting an SIV visa was almost impossible. The State Department did not move fast enough. They had maybe a, a handful of officers working on these SIV issues. It was a complete bureaucratic stall. And the military kept saying, hey, guys, we're leaving. We've got to protect our troops. We don't want to be shot at on the way out. Here's what we're doing. If you want us to evacuate people, let us. And the State Department, because they were in touch with the Ghani government, and the Ghani government did not want to see mass evacuations because they thought that would destabilize the government and play into the Taliban's hands, the Ghani government pressured the State Department not to allow those evacuations. These were choices that were made. The military had to uh, had responsible for getting troops out safely. They did that, and you saw what happened. We were the first to report that Bagram was closed in, in July. General, it was overnight. Was it, was it handled well, leaving all those prisoners, dangerous prisoners at the base? There is a lot of looking back at the Bagram situation, but I do know that the military, it wasn't a decision taken lightly. 
they and they didn't know that the government was going to fall in 11 days. They thought that at least it would hold on for another uh, six months or so and that they could – that the embassy was going to remain open. They were going to start processing visas, and the State Department told the military that they wanted to fly people out on commercial aircraft, on unmarked planes, not military aircraft. And so the military – takes orders from the civilians. That is the way our system is set up. And so to say, why didn't the military get everyone else, out, everyone out, they were, they, their hands were tied when the president and the State Department made certain decisions. Absolutely. They made certain decisions. Obviously, they mischaracterized Ghani. They mischaracterized how long this government would stand. And shouldn't they have gotten a clue when they weren't fighting back in Masary Sharif and other places like I that, think, that there could have been a problem? I, I think, Honestly, Brian, that was really – those were the canaries in the coal mine. The fact that Kunduz was not the tripwire, they waited for the tripwire to be Kandahar as opposed to Kunduz. Once Kunduz fell, the, people should have known that the gig was up because it, it was like watching a storm pattern move across a radar screen. You could see where this was heading. And why didn't we have intelligence that the Taliban were paying off all these commanders and that they already had deals in place? Yep. We lost that key intelligence. But guess why we lost it? Because we rolled up our military, and as we rolled up our military, we had to – the CIA had to close all its bases because the reason we had military there was to protect our intel and to protect our intelligence-gathering ability. So there are so many catch-22s and so many decisions that were made that then people had to take – you know, other parts of the government had to take uh, decisions that left us very vulnerable. And uh, you know, there is a lot of blame to go around, but it's not just this administration. There has been mistakes made for four presidents all the way back to 9-11. There, President Bush underfunded the Afghan war effort and took all the resources for, for the Iraq war. President Obama made the foolish decision to surge troops in when Afghanistan was not surgeable and started nation building and then tied the hands of the military and told them they couldn't carry out airstrikes. And then President Trump said he wanted the, the from the moment I remember flying down to CENTCOM in the first trip that President Trump took with where he met with his CENTCOM commanders and he told them he wanted all U.S. troops out and he didn't care how they did it. And I know right up until the last month of his presidency, he was saying go to zero. That's why he put four uh, for he replaced the defense secretary right after November the November election. He wanted to go to zero, and he did not have a plan to get any SIVs or Americans out of Afghanistan. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. I looked and at then this. Then President it, Biden, right. and then President Biden took the the took the decision, and he took the decision against the military advice of. Uh, his national security team, and especially the military. And President Biden took the decision to go to zero. And then at that point, once it had been, once all the options had been presented to him and all of the warnings had been given about the humanitarian disaster that would ensue, there are minutes from those Situation Room meetings where the military painted in very emotional terms what would happen. And guess what? It happened. And then they had to be sent back in to clean it up. 30 seconds left. Uh, he said, for now, I'll report the unanimous recommendation of the Joint Chiefs of all our commanders on the ground to end our airlift session as planned. It seems like they're, he keeps on uh, almost point, uh, poking the Pentagon, saying it was your He's decision. He's throwing them under the bus. This is nonsense. How, how long He's are they the going to take it? Our system does not 
does not allow for generals to just make decisions. It's a civilian-led military, and he's the commander-in-chief. He took the decision. Throwing the generals under the bus at this point is a bit rich because they told him that August 31st, after the gotcha. suicide bombing, after the suicide bombing, they said August 31st they needed to get out because they couldn't. Gotcha. They couldn't afford another suicide bombing. Jennifer Griffin, thanks so much. Great work. I'll talk to you again soon. Back in a moment. Thank Brian you. Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So what does that look like? How does diplomacy get those people out of the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have uh, Americans that get stranded in, in, uh, in countries all the time. Admiral Kirby on NBC uh, just describing, you know, he's in an impossible situation. It's very unique for, I don't think it's unique for an admiral to be a spokesperson. He was a spokesperson for state and now he's with the Pentagon. He's in a possible situation. I don't even really, is that usual? I mean, he's a rear admiral. He's supposed to be setting policy, not explaining it. Yeah, I'm not sure. That is a very good question. We can look it up. We can also ask, um, whenever we get him back on, Admiral Stavridis, how typical that is. Yeah, I, can you imagine Admiral Stavridis uh, going, okay, let me take some questions about General McKenzie's policies and President Biden's beliefs, really? Admiral will be like, listen, I, I can't even subscribe. I can't even pretend. And it's just hard for me to believe that he believes all this. This was a good move, and this is how you do it. And you, you have to deal with civilians who know nothing about the military. I mean, Joe Biden's military experience was his son was in the military. And that he goes to a lot of other places and talks to people. But to me, he doesn't listen. You saw with these families, these Gold Star families were complaining. All he did was talk the whole time about himself and his son. Really? Do you want to ask me a question about my son? Because many people think you put him in harm's way for no reason. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books. I'll sign them and send them. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today and a lot to go over. Coming to you from New York. Heard around country or heard around the world. We're going to be joined by Mark Thiessen in a matter of moments. Trey Gowdy at the bottom of the hour. And we'll do a simulcast on FBM, one of the fastest growing cable stations in all the world. So rather than keep Mark waiting, as we went, by the way, the President of the United States has already pushed back his address to 2.45 today. So an hour and 15 minutes. Yesterday, the inexplicably, the Secretary of State was an hour and 15 minutes late for his address. It only is war and peace, ending a 20-year war. Just take your time. Is anyone stuck on writing the copy? Is that it? Mark Thiessen used to write those copies. He'll be with us shortly. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He would not look us in the eye. There was not an ounce of sympathy looking at his face. It was a, he tapped her on the knee and said, I know what you're going through. I lost my son. It was more about his son. My son wasn't mentioned. He, it, it was his, his son and about him and nothing to do with the 13. Talking about Riley McCollum, and that's his sister and dad, Jim McCollum and Cheyenne, talking about their meeting with the president. New Gold Star families, enraged for the most part by the way their kids died. And when President Biden said and did in private, talking about Bo, talking about his own pit in the stomach, what about asking about them? Does that ever occur to him? 
Number two. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the if, troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. You had to drag it out of him. Now we know why he didn't mean it. How do we get our people back and who exactly is left behind? We need answers, and I am not convinced anyone in the administration cares to get them. They say between 100 and 200. Can you drill down on the number, please? Number one. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan in the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. General Kenneth McKenzie, humiliation. Everywhere you look, everywhere you shine a light, you see massive screw-ups and flat-out incompetence as the Biden bunch complete this Afghan retreat. Officials doing the unthinkable, doing what the president said he would not do, leave Americans' allies behind. With me right now is Mark Thiessen. His latest article, Greenlighting the Taliban's Takeover of Kabul. Uh, is a national disgrace. I can't agree more. Uh, Mark, we're out, but yet they're still there. Can you explain that? So why are there Americans left behind? Why were we not able to get all the Americans out? Because, and you keep reading these stories in the press about American families tra- trapped in uh, trapped in Kabul who can't get past Taliban checkpoints, who couldn't get to the airport, who, uh, who the chaos, either because the Taliban wouldn't let them through or just the chaos at the airport, they couldn't control it. So why did all that happen? Because on August 15th, the Taliban didn't intend, when they arrived at the gates of Kabul, the Taliban did not intend to enter the city. And they had a meeting, when the, when the Afghan government fled, there was a meeting quickly arranged between General McKenzie in Doha and Mullah Baradar, who's the leader of the Taliban. And Mullah Baradar said to him, look, somebody has to secure the city. If you, if you guys won't do it, you have to allow us to do it. Note the word allow. And... General McKenzie, I don't know if he made the decision on his own. I don't know if he took it to the president. I don't know where it would – we don't know those facts. But the, the, the answer came that, no, you can have Kabul. We'll just take the airport, right? So the Taliban would not have entered Kabul if we did not give them the green light to enter Kabul, right? They didn't want to fight American forces. If we were going to, if we were going to fight them, they were going to stay out because they knew we were leaving in a few weeks anyway. Why would they, why would they suffer a military defeat? They, could just, they, they would have just waited. And we could have secured the green zone. We could have secured the entire the 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 exit to the, the the highway to the airport. We could have set up our own perimeter around the airport. And if we had done that, we could have evacuated every single American. We could have evacuated every one of our Afghan allies. And by the way, we would not have been depending on the Haqqani network, a terrorist U.S. designated terrorist organization for which which Obama put in charge of security. For security at the airport, which means that 13 Americans wouldn't have died. So Jennifer that's Griffin says decision. that it would have been taking too many troops to do that. That's and there would have been true. so many people. I'm, been... I'm sorry. I spoke to a, a former member of the Chiefs, Joint Chiefs of Staff who told me that we could have secured the, that we could have secured uh, Jennifer's just wrong. We could have secured Kabul. We wouldn't have secured the entire city, but the entire city wasn't secured under under the Afghan government. We would have secured the green zone. And we would have secured the the the, uh, the the road to the airport and the area around the airport. That could have been done. Look, Biden sent 6,000 additional troops. That could have been done with 6,000. Let's say it took 10,000 troops. Who the hell cares? So we know Americans, this. 13 Americans would be alive. I agree. They would have everyone anyway. No, no, I agree. And I'll tell you this, too. You, you got to say that we knew about that attack 10 hours ahead of time. We weren't able to stop it. Next thing you know, we're bombing people, stopping those attacks. What, what were we thinking prior to that? That's another investigation that needs to be had. But Nancy Pelosi will not call back the Congress. Here's Kevin McCarthy, cut nine. We stand just 
roughly two weeks before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We are now less safe. The Taliban has more Black Hawk helicopters than Australia. We have weaponized them. We have lost over the horizon, as the State Department, the Defense Department talks about, because we lost mm -hmm. a, a military base that gave us the ability to see things into Russia, China, Pakistan, and others. We've watched China take this situation into Taiwan. We've watched Russia when it comes to the Baltics or Eastern Europe, their ability to push further. This is not just what's going to happen next week. This is putting Americans in harm's way for decades. Do you dispute any of that? Not at all. I mean, look, first of, first of all, this is going to uh, embolden terrorists, right? We already saw the Osama bin Laden's security chief re return to Afghanistan with a Taliban escort. So, you know, the, we, we, know, we know where that stands. Uh, New York Times reported that uh, between uh, five and 10,000 uh, fighters, including, uh, including al-Qaeda, have re-entered the country already. This is going to be a magnet for jihadists all over the world. It's bigger than the caliphate. Right. Because we occupy because we this was the country from which they launched 9-11. We drove them out and they took it back. So that's number one. But that put it put aside terrorism for a second. Put aside ISIS, put aside Al Qaeda, put aside all the, the Islamic radicals who want to kill us. Iran is watching our, our weakness in, in, in Afghanistan. China is watching. They've already taunted Taiwan. They published an editorial in, the, in their communist mouthpiece, the Global Times, telling Taiwan, this Afghanistan is an omen for you. The Americans didn't have the staying power in Afghanistan. They're not going to defend you. They, they, it's in, it will embolden North Korea. It'll embolden Russia. It'll embolden all of our adversaries around the world. One of, one of, my, uh, one of the things, lessons I learned from my old boss, Don Rumsfeld, he had a phrase, weakness is provocative. Weakness tempts people, uh, other, our adversaries around the world to try things they otherwise would not try and test us and to test our resolve. And so this is not only going to make another terrorist attack more likely, it's going to make another war more likely because one of our adversaries around the world may look at this and miscalculate and make a decision to try something that they wouldn't have tried otherwise, and that'll put American troops in harm's way. I want you to hear what General Kenneth McKenzie uh, said from the Pentagon yesterday. Uh, about how happy was the Taliban worked so well. Cut to. I can tell you this, though, about what the Taliban has done. They established a firm perimeter outside of the airfield to prevent people from coming on the airfield during our departure. And we've, we've worked that with them for a number of days. They did not have direct knowledge of our time of departure. We choose to keep that. We chose to keep that uh, very information very restricted, but they were uh, actually very helpful and useful to us as we closed down operations. They Good were helpful. God. Isn't that unbelievable? Good God. You know, McKenzie is, is a disgrace. Uh, the idea that the, the Taliban set up a firm perimeter outside the airport. Yeah, that perimeter allowed an ISIS suicide bomber through, but it didn't allow American citizens with bl waving blue passports saying, I'm an American, to get to the airport. They kept them out. There's hundreds of Americans trapped in, uh, trapped in Kabul. You know, I, I, I want to tell you something. I, I, I have never been more disgusted with our military leadership. This is not just President Biden. Though he bears ultimate responsibility, it's not just Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken and all they, who are terrible. The, the team of sycophants who are terrible. Where General McKenzie, G General Milley, General slash uh, Defense Secretary Austin, they went along with this. They executed this. They 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 put they they're the ones who made who 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 uh, who made the, made a lot of these stupid decisions or wouldn't push back when the president uh, made stupid decisions. Where was you know I, I was not a fan of Jim Mattis. 
But when pre- when President Trump was pushing to withdraw all of our troops from Afghanistan, he put his stars on the table. Now from put Syria, respect, yeah. right? Where's the Where's somebody who was put? A, where was the person who was willing to put his stars on the table? We always heard about under Trump about the adults in the room, right? The people who who would do, who would tell the president, well, the, the, you know, you don't want to do this. This is, this could be dangerous, and push back on 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 some of his instincts. The reason was he had adults in the room because he hired them. He brought people in who didn't necessarily disagree with his policies because he wanted to get lots of different points of view. And sometimes he listened to them, sometimes he didn't. There are no adults in the room right now with Joe Biden. There's nobody pushing back. There's nobody saying to him, "This is you're, you're misguided. This is a wrong idea. Or, or he's not listening. Listen to this, uh, Mark Thiessen. President's statement yesterday. I can't wait for a speech that he's going to squint his way through today. Uh, he said, for now, I'll report that it was the unanimous recommendation of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and all of our commanders on the ground to end our airlift mission as planned. Their view was that ending our military mission was the best way to protect the lives of our troops and secure the prospects of civilian departures for those who want to leave Afghanistan in the weeks and months ahead. So he wants to make it clear. The Pentagon advised him to do all this. So you could technically blame me, but it was the men in uniform that told me. He, he blames everybody but himself. He blames uh, he blames Donald Trump. He blames the military. Uh, he blamed uh, Americans who didn't want to leave, who were who weren't ready for not leaving the country or for or for going in when they when they when against State Department uh, recommendations. Everybody's to blame but him. This is you know this is this is the. Uh, I, I, you know, I've I've never been in my life embarrassed to be an American until today, honestly. I, I've never been so disgusted with an with an administration or its policies. You know, Joe Biden was supposed to be, you know, what was his his sales pitch to the American people? He's a moderate. He's competent. He's a, he's a foreign policy expert. He's going to he's going to manage our country. We just need to get we need to get past this period of chaos under Trump, and we'll just have normalcy for a while. This is normal. This is what we. This is what we. This is not what the American people uh, were, were asked for. Even if you wanted to leave Afghanistan, which I which I disagree with, uh, you know, is this how we wanted to do it? With our tail between our legs, with 13 dead Americans, with the Taliban, you know, uh, you know, mocking us, and 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 oh, it's just I, I'm I just I've never I, I been listen. That's so how disgusted. I've been. That's how I've been, I've been. It's very frustrated because you can't you can't make a difference. You just have to watch, and they got our reputation uh, in their arms, and it's our reputation, and it's going to be for generations. When the can, Secretary can of State say- showed up an hour and 15 minutes late, I mean, he was supposed to be out there at at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. He ends up going coming out at 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock originally. No explanation as usual. By the way, they just pushed back the president's speech an hour and 45 minutes. So here's Anthony but Blinken yesterday. they wouldn't yesterday. push back the withdrawal. No, they would. Yeah, that's true. Cut six. <laughs> the Taliban seeks international legitimacy and support. Our message is any legitimacy and any support will have to be earned. The Taliban can do that by meeting commitments and obligations on freedom of travel, respecting the basic rights of the Afghan people, including women and minorities, upholding its commitments on counterterrorism, not carrying out reprisal violence against those who choose to stay in Afghanistan, and forming an inclusive government that can meet the needs and reflect the aspirations. So do you think the Taliban were taking notes on how to become uh, a member of the family of nations? Like I, like I said, they just escorted the uh, Osama bin Laden <laughs> security chief back into the country. Past the Hukani I mean, security I mean, bracket. The idea that we would even consider 
providing U.S. aid to the Taliban regime in Afghanistan is I, I thought that there could be nothing stupider than the withdrawal plan that they did. But that's 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 a level of stupid we haven't even plumbed yet in, in this administration. The idea that we would give them aid. Look, the a, a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan was illegal. They 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 launched a military takeover, overthrew the legitimate government. Yep. The Afghan constitution, as far as we're concerned, and under international law, still stands. Right? There's a there's a there, the, the the Afghan vice president is in the Panjshir Valley saying, "I'm the legitimate leader of Afghanistan." Are we going to recognize the Taliban over him? Yeah, you know we do. Reco- we'll have to get Ghani out of class in Johns Hopkins. Uh, he's already left the building. Uh, he's out of the yeah, country, and he and he left with with millions and millions of dollars, which as I which as I understand it is slightly higher than the pay of the uh, president of Afghanistan. He's a corrupt, you know, sob, and uh, uh, that but and and abandoned his post at the at the at the moment of uh, of truth. But but I will tell you, I want, I want to say one more thing, Brian, before we before we end this, is that you know as despondent as you and I are, and as despondent as as, as so many Americans are, a lot of Afghan veterans right now are saying, was this all in vain? You know, I lost a limb, I lost a brother, I lost a friend uh, in, in Afghanistan, and it wasn't in vain because we were not attacked for 20 years. We did not suffer another 9/11 for 20 years. They purchased with their service and sacrifice. They purchased safety and security for the American people for two decades. And we brought um, and we brought and, freedom and, and liberty for for people that want to take advantage of it for about 20 years. And, you're and they were accomplishing the mission. It's not the military that failed. It's the generals and it's the and the civilian leaders who failed our country. Uh, he is Mark Thiessen. Always appreciate your perspective because it comes out of knowledge and research and firsthand experience. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Brian. You got Thank it. You. Uh, Trey Gowdy at the bottom of the hour, but good news is you'll get a chance to get things off your chest next. one 408 7669 Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I actually declined the meeting with the president. We went to a different room. When he came, we we went to a separate room. I I had no desire to to meet with the president. Why? Uh, The way he has handled this, everything he's done, every step along the way has been absolutely backwards. And I don't understand the process of how how they came to the, the decisions that they made. A high school kid could make better decisions than they've made in this. They they have fumbled the ball every step of the way. Jim McCollum uh, talking about Riley McCollum, his son who died at 20 as a Marine, first deployment. Uh, his wife is about to give birth. She's three weeks away. They were all said he wanted to be a Marine from the day he was born, and that he can remember he did it. And their family is so beside themselves. In fact, the, his widow now uh, had a chance to meet with the president, and she reported that all he did was talk about himself and talk about his son, not about his son. And then another uh, Gold Star dad came out and said, you know, this isn't about you. You should, you should learn about everybody's background, learn all about my son and what he went through and why he joined. And just to paraphrase, Joe Biden snapped back, I did. He didn't. He never does. This guy is just known, just talk. All he does is talk. Imagine if he kept his ears open and his mouth shut when he went to Afghanistan all those times, Iraq all those other times, and Syria. Whatever he did, he wasn't learning anything. He was thick-headed and wrong, and now he's got the keys. Do not buy. Do not buy that people say, well, he's old and, you know, he's not with it. This is exactly his philosophy and his beliefs. And, and that's why, listen, I don't want to get politics into it. And you could be the best president making the best decisions, and sometimes things go wrong. And those families are going to be angry at you, and you just got to take it. I get it. 
But in this case, you thoroughly understand it. He had a chance to take the city. He takes the airport. They can't secure the airport. The Taliban's doing security. They knew about the attack hours before, at least 12 hours before, according to the Secretary of Defense, unable to stop it. But they were the next day when they attacked back, and they were the day after that when they attacked on Sunday and blew up what they said was another car bomb. But who even knows what's going on? Were they just trying to demonstrate their over-the-horizon capabilities? And that's what it was about? Because the over-the-horizon thing we know doesn't work in Afghanistan. We were on the ground we had trouble catching up to al-Qaeda in the mountains. Now we know where they are in the capital, but they don't stick around there. Thanks so much for listening to Keep It Here. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be joined by Trey Gowdy. He'll put it all in perspective and talk about what Congress should be doing and how it's going to affect the election in 2022 and maybe get some accountability here. Brian Kilmeade. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. First of all, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. There are no Americans stranded is the White House's official position on what's happening in Afghanistan. I'm just calling you out for saying that we are stranding Americans in Afghanistan. We believe there are still a small number of Americans, under 200 and likely closer to 100, who remain in Afghanistan and want to leave. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Oops. Turns out, intentionally or unintentionally, that was a flat-out lie. It's not proven to be correct. And you see George Stephanopoulos had to follow up twice to get him to say something that should have been a natural retort. Trey Gowdy with us right now, Fox News contributor, host of Sunday Night in America with Trey Gowdy. It's at 7, uh, and a former congressman from South Carolina. Trey, I watched you last night as we waited for the Secretary of State to come out. He was only an hour plus late, which is unacceptable, especially in something as historic as this. But what is your reaction to the, it's okay to leave an American behind? Uh, stunned. Uh, that is not what uh, superpowers do. That's not the way they conduct themselves. Not only do you not leave Americans behind, you don't leave your allies and your friends behind. I mean, that's just not what superpowers do. And I've never understood this infatuation with August 31st. I mean, what is talismanic about that day? Why don't you say, you know what, we will withdraw unless we change our minds when the last American who wants to leave is on the plane and when our allies are protected and when those that we feel some obligation to uh, are likewise protected. And until then, don't ask us when we're leaving again. I mean, that's the way superpowers act. Not, not, you know, uh, let's get out of here as quickly as we can and hope a rocket doesn't shoot down a plane. Uh, Congressman Darrell Issa, you know, he's working hard to get high school kids out of there along with some teachers and then you have uh, Larry Logan working through the night, says you're not going to believe how many people are still in there. And then Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who worked for three presidents, uh, Texas congressman now, said this, cut 33. 
Now we're desperately trying to get all of these American citizens, and believe me, there are more than 200, there are a lot more than 200, and we're desperately trying to get them land bridges now to get them out of the country. Dangerous treks. I mean, people are going to have to drive for hours and hours, eight to 10 hours to get to the border in some cases to cross countless Taliban checkpoints. So, I mean, these exasperated. There's certain people who are working hard. Do you know, Trey Gowdy, that uh, the private group, that, that pineapple group that is in a third country, we're getting calls from State Department officials to help them get people out. The official, the official entrances and the uh, and the corridors were not effective. They were going for out. They were helping outside groups. They were asking for help from outside groups. How does this happen? Uh, to, apparently, two trillion dollars in twenty years of life and limb invested is not enough to secure safe passage for Americans or their allies out of Afghanistan. I've, I've been gone, what, three years, yep. Brian? I, I, I've gotten emails from people. That's how desperate. I mean, it's one thing to contact somebody who can actually do something about it. All I can do is forward the email to Tim Scott or Lindsey Graham. But, but, but people are desperate. And the ones that break my heart the most are folks who say this person and his family helped us while we were there. I know. They're going to be killed if we don't take them. And, and again, what is talismanic about August 31st? I mean, wh- wh- why not September 30th? I mean, wh- why does it have to be the day that Joe Biden said it had to be? Well, he had to. He made a decision to go to 5,800. He wanted to go down from 2,200 to 600. Then he quickly bulked up. They say to take the city, he would have probably had to get 20,000 in there. That's exactly what he didn't want to do. Even though the Taliban said you could take the city or we could, you make the call. You know, I, I want this dichotomy to be left in your mind, Brian. This is the guy who waited to kill Osama bin Laden, but was in a hurry to get out of Afghanistan. Yep. I mean, so it, you think about and, – and we were told by the media he's the most credentialed person to ever be the president. He, he, he wanted to wait to kill Osama bin Laden, but his pants are on fire in terms of getting out of, out of Afghanistan. So I, I think the least important thing is politics, but I'm going to bring you to it because it's another area of your expertise. I'm looking at Congresswoman Susan Wild, Democrat from Pennsylvania, extend the deadline. Democrat Abigail Spanberger, uh, Democrat from Virginia, expand the deadline. Don't like the way we're getting out. Another Democratic congressman from California named Mike Levin, Andy Kim of New Jersey, all upset by the way we're leaving. Senator Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona, Senator Masto, all Democrats expressed dismay on some level about why we're leaving and leaving Americans behind. Are they just saving their own butts, or are they realizing this is just flat-out anti-American behavior? Uh, well, I don't want to judge their motives. I could be wrong. I think Abigail may have served, I, I, and I've put people who have served uh, in uniform, like Seth Moulton and others, in a different category. I don't know their motives. I, I do know that it is indefensible um, if you're running for re-election to say, hey, after 20 years – Women and girls are still at risk. Religious minorities are still targeted. Journalists are being beaten up. We can't get Americans out. And, oh, by the way, in the last week, 13 coffins came uh, back to Dover Air Force Base. Uh, but, by golly, we met Joe Biden's deadline. If that's what you're running for reelection on, then you will be a minority party. And they should be. Other big picture. You know, people have pointed out that JFK rude the day of Bay of Pigs, but he apologized for it and he overcame it. 
Ronald Reagan reeled after the deaths of 200 Marines in Beirut in 1983, but he took responsibility and he overcame it. Bill Clinton got rocked by uh, Black Hawk Down, famously in Somalia. 18 U.S. service members were killed. He overcame it. Is this something Joe Biden can overcome? You know, uh, I don't know, and, and it's and it's sad to say that because I think the media is different. As biased as the media may have been under Reagan, they are full-fledged advocates and participants in, in politics now. So I think if given the choice, do we continue to write stories about the disaster that is Afghanistan and give Kevin McCarthy a chance to be the Speaker of the House, or do we – pivot and talk about something else. I think the Politicos and the New York Times and the Washington Post of the world are going to pivot. Now, now I do trust the real jury, the American yes. people. And when they see images of people falling out of airplanes and they see women and girls after 20 years of our, of our sons and daughters being killed, 20 years, and women and girls are still second-class citizens, I think that jury uh, will be much tougher than the media. I, I was surprised by that. 68% disapprove of the president's leaving of Afghanistan. I was surprised it, was, it wasn't even higher. 84% of both parties wanted to stay until every American was out. He still pulled out. 2,461 have uh, you know have lost their lives. Now we added 13 to that number, and we hope the number doesn't grow because we know 18 in some cases are struggling for their lives at Ramstein Air Base who got wounded. But look at what we left behind, 22,000 Humvees. You have C-130s, 28 Cessnas, 33 uh, Blackhawks, 42,000 pickups, 136,000 handguns, 64,000 machine guns, 169 armored personnel carriers. That's just some of the list that we left behind. Where was the contingency plan to blow this stuff up should the Afghan military be blown out? Uh, there was no contingency plan. The most experienced person in our lifetime, we were told, to hold this office, commander-in-chief, had no contingency plan. But I do think it's important, Brian, because keep in mind, there are plenty of Republicans that couldn't wait to get out of Afghanistan True. either. I was not one of them, but there were plenty of them. Including President I had Trump. somebody on – yep, absolutely. So I had Cash Patel, whom I've known for five years. All right, tell me how your withdrawal plan would have been different, and I think it's important – for Republicans who thought we should also withdraw to say we would have done it in a less feckless manner. We would not have left the equipment. I mean, you hear Pompeo doing it. You hear Cash Patel doing it. But they need to draw the distinction. Yes, we would have draw, withdrawn, but we would have done it differently. And we would not. Look, the Americans' number one priority. But right behind that, Brian, right behind that, how are you ever going to get other people to help you if you don't keep your word and you leave them behind for God only knows what's going to happen to them? Those that helped us, that is not the way the moral leader of the world behaves. You do not leave people behind. Trey, this is why your show is so good, because you're going to put Republicans on and you're going to make them read that six-page Trump evacuation plan and then tell us how it would have been different. And, and that's why, because it's not enough for Republicans to say Joe Biden screwed up. I hated the term endless wars. It should have been explained that it was a way to keep a lid and an eye on the terrorists that want to kill us and, and, and Western governments. And it was all phrased wrong. And I do think Republicans should be pressed, too. Thanks, Trey. We'll see you uh, Sunday at 7. Thank you, Brian. And you do. Your show is fantastic. 
Well, thank you. You're always fantastic. Thank you for All having right. me on. Uh, thanks for saying that. When we come back, I'm going to go on Varney and Company. I'll finish up with calls. one 408 7669 FBN when we return. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. We're waiting for Stuart Varney to get to us like we do every week. Always love those hits. Uh, we have a chance to go into FBN, one of the fast-growing cable stations in all the land, and uh, he has a chance to get our audience, so it's great news for him, too. And then I'll finish up with some phone calls at one 408 You know, it's just so amazing and painful to hear these Gold Star families talk about the sudden death of their loved ones, uh, 12 men and one woman, uh, uh, Marines, a corpsman. And, um, yeah, I think they're all uh, 12 corpsmen and uh, one Marine, I mean, 12 Marines and one corpsman, and then find out what all the others are wounded in Germany and so many are being flown over, but they are quite angry and they did not enjoy their time with President Biden. speak this afternoon, 2.45 Eastern. President Trump, in my interview earlier, said Biden should apologize. What say you? Well, uh, where do you begin? I mean, to apologize for for what? For setting that arbitrary date, for not thinking it through, for blaming the military for giving up Bagram Air Base by saying that I just went with what my advisor said when he actually told them I want to get out and get to zero. And the one thing is pretty clear. This is the one plan in which he can't blow up that Donald Trump put out. Everything else he tore up. Remember the 36 or maybe even more executive orders on day one of the office? He left the inauguration, took his mask off, and started signing booklets? That was undoing the Trump agenda. Well, the one thing about President Trump, and I did not agree with it, I did not want to go down to zero in Afghanistan. And uh, I know that went against the grain with a lot of people, but I just thought the counterterror effort was well worth it. It should have been explained. But the way we did it and the way I understand it, the people closest to the president, is I read the six pages the president signed off on that Ambassador Kalazad helped choreograph and write. And I just believe that if the president was ever told the Taliban are violating that agreement, they're moving on Kabul, they are steamrolling the provinces, everything that is in that plan they were not supposed to do, he would have stopped it. And if nothing else, if the greatest enemy of Donald Trump knows he's got a bit of an ego— And do you think his ego would have allowed Kabul to fall to the Taliban on his watch? Hmm. Fair point. Fair point. You've you've reported this, Brian. Ninety generals and admirals uh, signed a letter saying the defense secretary and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, they've got to resign. That's from 90 generals and admirals, former generals and admirals. Okay, they want those two to resign. Who else? How about Anthony Blinken? What do you say? Oh, he's terrible. Absolutely awful. If you think about it, he got blistered in Alaska by the Chinese. He's supposed to be rallying people at the G7. Nothing happened. They were supposed to put out missives and statements saying that the the predatory practices of China uh, with their military as well as their economic uh, prowess is really uh, it's circumventing the West, uh, the Western uh, allies barely got anything into writing. And we know what's happened to the Middle East, making an all-out effort to rekindle the Iranian program. And please tell me, you watched him look over to the side of a camera and give a, a stilted statement about the end of the Afghanistan war and mention we left 100 or 200 
people behind. How does that guy keep his job? Secretary of, Sta uh, Secretary of Defense Austin has looked out of his depth from day one. I don't even think he wants the job. And then you have General Milley, who had no problem giving out statements when Trump was in office, whether it was a walk to the church afterwards, but for some reason seems to be very quiet and compliant when it comes to getting blamed for this Afghanistan dismount. Where's the statement there? Where's the, I recommended 4,000 troops, he wanted zero, I, I'm, my job is to work for him, therefore I'll do his policy. He's getting blamed. Show some pride or go for the door. My bet this afternoon when the president uh, speaks, at, uh, we're told at 2.45 this afternoon, my bet is that he will play this positive, that he will spin it as, I ended America's longest war. We're out. Goodbye. I don't think he answers questions either. What say you? Both. Uh, Blinken didn't answer any questions yesterday. Inexcusable because the answers are not good. Number two is that's where he's going to spin it. You know what he's counting on, Stuart? He's counting on this being a news cycle away, two news cycles away. Then he's going to get that spending plan we can't afford, which is free everything, free socialism for America, $3.5 trillion, which you have educated me on, this more like $5.2 trillion, along yeah. with the $1.2 trillion that we can't afford on an economy that was recovering on its own. We're not flat on our back. It's not 2008. We're not in the middle of a pandemic. In many respects, the economy is standing up on its own, needs no more help. He wants that to be the narrative. I think more of the American people, they care about our international reputation, and they're going to hammer them with it. They will hold on to this because you can't talk about January 6th if you're CNN. You can't talk about uh, an MSNBC, a reconciliation package, when America's prestige is down for generations. 2.45, we'll be watching. He'll be late. I wonder what's coming up. He'll be uh, late. Okay, you're right. Brian, thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank you. See you again next week. All right. right. 1-866-408-7669. Let's go out to Pennsylvania, WSBA. Hey, Chris. Hey. Hey, Brian. Uh, just wanted to make a point I haven't heard anybody else mention. Uh, there's a clear and present crisis with uh, precious metals and making chips. I mean, Toyota is stopping their production by 40% due to this. Um, and we just gave away the store to China. The precious metals in Afghanistan are, are there. You know, there's plenty in the mountains. The Taliban are going to be happy to let them do it for money. Um, so that's going to be an economic impact here. I like that oh, point, story. but I'm going to add something think. else to it. That's not going to make you feel better. You know who else got chips? Taiwan. Russia. And oh, that's okay. another reason why we cannot allow China to invade Taiwan. They'll be in control of the rare earth and they'll be control of the number one chip maker in the world. And uh, we have allowed them to do it. We're beginning to get some of that back for national security purposes. But for the most part, we let Taiwan be the leader because they're our ally. But now their security is being threatened because we've shown weakness. Thanks so much for the call. Hey, uh, by the way, I just got a quick announcement. On a lighter note, if uh, the pandemic allows us, we got a series of events happening in uh, in November, with my, the release of uh, the President, the Freedom Fighter, which is a book coming out in the fall, which I really believe you are going to like, and and here we uh, are. Go ahead, yeah, uh, Charleston, West Virginia, on November seventh; Orlando, Florida, November twenty first; Ponta Vedra on December third; and Clearwater, Florida, on December fourth. Yeah, and just go to BrianKilme.com. You can get tickets. It's going to be the winning the war on history, as well as look at America's illustrious past. And your questions. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice.
Brian Kilmeade. This is Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Phil Bennett's going to be joining us in about 20 minutes, a veteran of the Reagan administration and Bush administration. And we're going to be taking your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Sandra Smith will join us right before she joins her show with John Roberts, America Reports. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He would not look us in the eye. There was not an ounce of sympathy looking at his face. It was a, he tapped her on the knee and said, I know what you're going through. I lost my son. It was more about his son. My son wasn't mentioned. He, it, it was his, his son and about him and nothing to do with the 13. Cheyenne and Jim McCollum talking about their now deceased son, Marine Riley McCollum. Uh, he uh, passed away when he was taken out with a bomb in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. And when the coffin came back, they met one-on-one with the President of the United States. Jim did not meet with them because he can't stomach him. America's new Gold Star families are enraged by the way their kids died and what President Biden said and did in private when they are not shy about talking about it. Uh, we, are, well, we have more about that. Number two. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. George Stephanopoulos, desperate to try to get Joe Biden to save his presidency, led him down to that answer. How do we get our people back and who exactly is left behind? President Biden left them behind and doesn't seem to care. Number one. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan in the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. General Kenneth McKenzie, humiliation. Everywhere you look, everywhere you shine a light, you see massive screw-ups and incompetence as the Biden bunch complete the Afghan retreat, officially doing the unthinkable, doing what the president said he would not do, and that's leave Americans behind. When it comes to these uh, Gold Star families, I'm... Uh, I am not going to judge. You can never say something to somebody grieving and be right or wrong. There's nothing, there's no right thing to say. It depends on the person, depends on the circumstances, and depends who you are in their lives. And you never know really quite what to say, but I think there's an understanding of it. And I know presidents uh, have to come under scrutiny when they put a man or woman into battle, especially without a draft. They choose to sign up. And then when these battles happen and people lose their lives, if someone like George W. Bush or President Trump, they go out of the way to write a handwritten letter. And in Trump's case, he would actually often call for uh, Corporal Riley McCollum. He was 20 years old. His wife was three weeks away from having their first baby. He wanted to be a Marine his entire life. And Jim was incensed. And the sisters were incensed. The mom was incensed. And uh, the widow was felt as though the president met with them, but was very cold and wanted to talk about himself and his son and not about them. Jim Cheyenne uh, joined me this morning. And here's what they said about the president and his demeanor. Here is um, here is Cheyenne. I chose to stay with my brother's wife. She wanted the chance to look him in the eye um, and see if it was going to be a sincere conversation or apology. Um, And I was able to stand about 15 seconds of his fake scripted apology, and I had to walk away. I heard he talked talked about his son, and he talked about the service. What made you feel like it was fake? He would not look us in the eye. 
there was not an ounce of sympathy looking at his face. It was a, he tapped her on the knee and said, I know what you're going through. I lost my son. It was more about his son. My son wasn't mentioned. He, it, it was his, his son and about him and nothing to do with the 13. He actually, he stayed with Riley's wife after I walked away for maybe a minute more. He talked to every other family for about 10 minutes, if not more, and we got maybe three tops. Because he gets sense the anger. Number one, the one thing I do know, I'm not exactly Dr. Drew. I didn't study this in college, but I will say it's pretty obvious you don't talk about yourself. And then you keep on referencing Bo Bottom in your speeches. You do it every single time. You bring up this tragedy in your life. And there's no doubt about it, he had a share of tragedy. But you know what? Everyone listening to me right now had their share of tragedy. Everyone. But you don't bring it up every single time you go to a funeral awake. It's just not appropriate, especially in the position you are right now. And your son did not die in battle. Your son died tragically of brain cancer. I met him once. He seems like a great guy. But you don't bring it up with a 20-year-old Marine who was going to get who was going to be a father for the first time in three weeks. It doesn't seem. Another gold star dad is Mark Schmitz. He was on with Sean last night, cut 43. Uh, his son died. I actually leaned into my son's mother's ear and I said, I swear to God, if he checks his watch one more time, and that was only probably four times in, um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't look at him anymore after that, just considering especially the time and why we were there. It was, uh, I found to be the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. Right. So uh, Darren Hoover, another gold star dad on losing his son in Afghanistan, cut 44. It's the absolute worst feeling in the world. Um, having, having them be away for so long and doing the job that they, they all love, there's no doubt about it. Um, being a Marine it, to these guys is everything. And having this happen to these heroes, um, every one of them's a hero. There's no doubt. Every last one of them. They, they died with their brothers and their sisters right next to them, doing exactly what they all wanted to do, and that is defending this country. I remember there's a shot of, the, of, of uh, one of the Marines holding a, a baby and said, this is exactly what I want to do. I love being a Marine. She lost her life the next day. So these, this explosion, what bothers me, and I think it's going to come out in an investigation, Secretary of Defense Austin said, we know an attack is imminent. You know an attack's imminent. We can't stop an attack, really? The United States of America can't try to stop an attack? You just say, we got 12 hours notice, and then later, after the attack, we're blowing up everything. We had two strikes, and I think we killed civilians in that, if you read some of the accounts. Whether they did or not, they're willing to take that risk after the bombing. Why couldn't you do it first? My goodness, been at war for 20 years. We're pretty much used to the bloodshed. In the end, there was 2,000, 2,461 have lost their lives. And if you listen to Leon Panetta, we're going to have to go back, which sadly means those numbers are going to rise. And for those people who said the Afghans didn't want to fight, 69,000. 69,000 over the last 20 years, that's minimum. 47,000 civilians and countless number of Taliban. 70% of you out there, 7 out of 10, disapprove of the way the president got out. When we come back, somebody who definitely disapproves, Bill Bennett. But he likes to put it all in perspective. He'll do that when we return on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The
the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look, there's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. But I think if we'd stayed another 10 days, we, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. And there still would have been people who would have been disappointed with that. It's a, it, it's a tough situation. But I want to emphasize again, that simply because we have left, that doesn't mean the opportunities for both Americans that are in Afghanistan that want to leave and, uh, and Afghans who want to leave, they will not be denied that opportunity. That is uh, General Kenneth McKenzie, who's in charge of the evacuation. Uh, I don't believe that we have much of an opportunity to get them out. They are totally on their own unless they could do something privately. Bill Bennett joins us now, former Secretary uh, of Education and First Drug Czar under uh, Ronald Reagan. He's also host of the Bill Bennett uh, podcast, which you can get wherever you get podcasts. Bill, your response to our evacuation. Uh, it was uh, unnecessary, unwise. Um and uh, dishonorable. I heard someone say yesterday on TV, um, well, we left with honor. We did not leave with honor. Uh, Our soldiers left with honor, but the United States uh, did not leave with honor. We as a country, uh, this was a shameful day. And uh, a lot of us feel it, uh, but apparently a lot of us don't. Uh, And the other thing I would say is there was no need to leave. Um, Just one thing I haven't heard this much, but it's very important. Uh, I, I was talking to Ryan Crocker, you know, the former ambassador. He reminded me that 10 years ago, we had 100,000 troops in Afghanistan, yeah. and the Taliban had control of no provincial capitals. Two weeks ago, we had 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, and the Taliban had control of no provincial capitals. 2,500 troops backed up by some contractors to fix the planes, the Air Force, uh, and um, we were keeping them at bay. Uh, we could have done this for 100 years. We we're doing it in, in South Korea and Japan and maybe even East Africa. Why did we have to go? I mean, I, I, and this is a, a bipartisan comment, I guess, or nonpartisan. Well, you know what? This is a false choice that bro Joe Biden keeps saying. He keeps saying, I didn't want to – I either had to surge troops – or get out, because the only reason we're attacking us is because of Donald Trump's deal that said, you attack us, the deal's off. So they stopped. That's a false choice. And it's also false history. We were holding them at bay before uh, that, uh, that announcement by Donald Trump. The number of troops kept decreasing over time. But uh, General, uh, I think it's Miller, Scott Miller, uh, you know, did a great job with 25. We reduced troops by 97.5% and still kept doing the job at a cost, I've asked a guy who used to work in the Pentagon, of about 3% of the defense budget. Sounds like a pretty good use of, uh, uh, of, of money and manpower to me. And we were keeping them at bay, and now they own the whole thing, including all that equipment. we got 13 dead Americans in uniform. No reason to have done this. No reason, good reason to have done this. So Trey Gowdy had a great point earlier in the show. He said, Republicans can't hop on with me and just say, 
uh, you know, Joe Biden screwed up. Well, what would you have done different? You had a six-page agreement, which he, General Keene said was not great. He didn't like it, but it was conditions-based. He said, Republicans, it's up to them to just not condemn, because a lot of them were on this statement, and I'm not for it, Bill, I don't think you were either, the forever war. I don't look at it as a forever war. It was no, as no. necessary to stop Islamic extremism from coming to our shores and spreading through our Western allies. Everybody, I thought, knew that. We all got educated in this. No, I mean, the first step in the last couple of years that was so consequential was uh, the recognition of the Taliban by President Trump, someone I usually defended. But uh, that was a big mistake. And that was the first prison jailbreak, uh, you know, 5,000 out then, and then another 5,000 at Bagram. Uh, so, no, I think I think Trey Gowdy is right. Once you recognize the Taliban as a legitimate group, um, you know, that was, I think, a key step backwards. Of course, Biden owns it because uh, he did it. You know, I, I've heard Mike Pompeo and President Trump say, we would have done it differently, uh, conditions, you know, we wouldn't, yeah. have, we wouldn't have put up with this. Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. Here's what Congressman Michael Waltz, first Green Beret to serve in the House, cut seven. The lies and misinformation, right? Uh, you know, the war's not over. The terrorism that happens in Afghanistan doesn't stay in Afghanistan. It'll spread like a cancer. It will follow us home. Uh, this is a disaster on humanitarian grounds. It's a disaster for American credibility. Uh, and it's a disaster for counterterrorism. As we head into the 20th anniversary of 9-11, uh, we're far less safe. And what pisses me off is future American soldiers are going to have to go back to clean up this mess with no bases. We gave them all away. No local allies. They're all being hunted down. And they're going to have to fight through a terrorist army that's, that's loaded to the hilt with American equipment. He didn't have anything to say it was inaccurate. But do you believe uh, that we will go back like Liam Panetta forecasted as well? Uh, we may, yeah. I saw Panetta say that. Yeah, we may have to. I don't know. Uh, we may have to. Certainly, uh, the situation is uh, worse now than it was uh, 9-11. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen there. By the way, the, are there any reporters there? Will there, there be any? If this stuff happens that a lot of us fear, will we be able to know about Great it? Point. Or is it just going to be a black box? No, we're going to have to have sources in America. So so far, we don't have any reporters here. I don't know who, it, who else does would feel safe. I know the Afghan there's, there's an Afghanistan female anchor that was doing interviews with the Taliban. No one could believe it. She got so many threats, she left the country. So you don't even have a somewhat friendly uh, news service anymore. You saw that one a male anchor with Taliban with machine guns uh, standing behind yeah. him. Look like it was a hostage video. But I think there's another story. I mean, you got 200, as the Secretary of State says, 200 Americans. So what's yeah, going to happen right. to them? Yeah, what is going to happen to them? Uh, They'll be held for ransom. Isn't that, isn't that the best bet? Because all this talk from uh, Blinken, the State Department, about we'll see and, you know, international recognition. And it's a very big theme of Joe Biden's, you know, people will behave because uh, otherwise they'll be embarrassed internationally. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know. Doesn't seem to me to work with the Chinese. Doesn't seem to me to work with Putin. I don't know if it'll work with the Taliban either. I, I also don't buy this notion of a hard wall or a, a, a high wall between uh, among Taliban, uh, uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda. I think there's a lot of commingling. Well, yeah. Well, Bin Laden's main guy who's just been escorted back to the country today. Uh, a statement yeah. that President Biden put out. You worked at the Pentagon, Bill. 
How, they have been they've been poked and prodded and blamed. President Biden says yesterday, for now, I'll report that it was a unanimous recommendation of the mm-hmm. Joint Chiefs of Staff that all our commanders on the ground to end our aircraft, our, our airlift mission as planned. So every chance he got, this is no one objected. I asked the commanders, what do you need? I said, I'll give you everything you need. Now, we know that they couldn't have signed off on this deal. At what point do they speak up or do they leak to the press? How does this work? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, leak to the press is the normal way uh, in Washington for uh, for Democrats. Uh, but not only that decision, but the Bagram decision. Didn't he say that was unanimous, too? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that uh, I can't believe military people would want to give up Bagram. Why would you want to give up that? First of all, it had more runways. Second, it was in a better place. A third, you can defend it better and people can get to it better. can't believe that either. Uh, boy, if it could have been could have been done wrong, it was done wrong. It makes Bob Gates look prophetic when he said, you know, uh, Biden over his career got almost everything wrong. He got almost everything wrong in this one, uh, unless we think those generals are just dumb as hell. Bill, lastly, just in perspective, 30 seconds, JFK overcame the Bay of Pigs, Reagan, the Beirut bombing, Bill Clinton, Black Hawk down. Can Joe Biden overcome this? I can't see it, but the press might make sure of it. Well, I think the press is trying to change the subject. I've been looking at uh, other channels, and they're already on January 6th. Uh, and uh, uh, unmasked people as terrorists. Uh, so, uh, you know, th- the hope here is it'll be forgotten. That's why I asked you the question about it's going to be a black box. Will it be easy to forget because we're not going to get news out of there uh, of uh, atrocities? Hope, I hope we see what is going on, though I dread to see what it will be. We're going to get a lot of people now working privately to get them across land since they're not going to be able to fly out. Bill Bennett, uh, thanks so much. Check out his Fox Nation series. Bill, I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian, as always. You got it. Hey, when we come back, Sandra Smith's going to be joining us in previewing what's happening on America's Reports. You see the President of the United States is going to be speaking. He's now pushed it from 1 o'clock to 2.45. I'm sure he'll be a half hour late for that. Why they don't feel compelled to do something on time, especially that's so consequential, is unbelievable to me and unexplainable and unacceptable. Uh, but don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. First of all, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. There are no Americans stranded is the White House's official position on what's happening in Afghanistan. Right I'm now. just calling you out for saying that we are stranding Americans in Afghanistan. We believe there are still a small number of Americans, under 200 and likely closer to 100, who remain in Afghanistan and want to leave. Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. And the more I hear that, the more you see George Stephanopoulos do something he never would have done with President Trump. He would have been challenging him, berating him. Instead, he's actually leading Joe Biden to the only acceptable answer is, I don't leave Americans behind. Too bad it ends up he did, but that's beside the point, and I kid. Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America Reports, was going to be starting uh, in, in just over, just under two hours. Sandra, welcome back. It's, it's amazing that 
we are talking about an America where we leave people behind between 100 and 200. We don't even know exactly how many people were leaving behind. I remember behind. this was a White House that told us uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, that it was irresponsible to say that Americans are stranded. August 23rd, Jen Psaki in the White House briefing room. You'll remember she took on Peter Ducey on just yeah. that. John Kirby, Pentagon spokesperson this morning on Morning Joe. It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have Americans that get stranded in countries all the time. So why is it that they can't get this straight? And the messaging is just so poor, Brian. And I can't even tell you how I mean, you've been covering this daily, as we all have around here. And Americans have been tuning into this in record numbers as well. And it has just been emotionally draining it, to, it has to see been. the way that we've been led through this, to see the way that our troops have been led through this, the way that those Americans on the ground have been left through this and stranded. And on top of that, 20 years since 9-11. So that's coming up next week. And we're looking to us saying to ourselves, really, uh, 20 years since 9-11, do, do we even mark this day as opposed to 2011 when we had the year in which we killed bin Laden? We have a situation where we abandoned our allies. We never communicated to them effectively. The way we got out, holding that deadline, aggravated them to the nth degree. We're seeing all these stories from around the globe, how America's might is respected. But uh, because we have the hardware, we set the clocks, and the British left people behind. The Australians left people behind. The French left people behind. And now we're all out of that airport, and there's been a bombing. There's been death. There's been destruction. So our allies have been damaged. Another thing, Sandra, that's not being pointed out enough is how many people we gave uh, freedom and liberty to and the opportunity. I look at the American University in Kabul. That was not there. Look at all those people in different provinces, all these women that have been to school, all these kids uh, that have had to become teachers. Uh, they don't have to walk around in their burqas. They get jobs. They can drive a car. They got a glimpse of that. And when we left, they wanted to leave too. When, we, when the Taliban left, nobody wanted to leave. They came flooding in. I think now the brutal reality for all of us is that, A, as a country, we are willing and showing that in this moment to leave Americans behind. We're going to hear from Joe Biden, 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. What could he say? Uh, We'll see. Jen Psaki was expected to speak earlier than that. That's now been pushed back. We'll hear from her in the 3 o'clock Eastern time. Senator John Kennedy this morning, I've talked to three foreign leaders, he said, in the past week that are all pro-American. They are humiliated. They are angry and they are scared. My question is, he's 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 torching the Biden Afghan withdrawal, saying that this was the Mona Lisa of incompetence. Yeah, he said that on he's Fox and Friends. Torching the administration. So not just Joe Biden, that includes Kamala Harris. And you know my beef with this. Where is she? Where is she? She owned the fact that she was in the room back in April when Joe Biden made this decision for a full withdrawal by this date. Brian, she has been silent. We saw her on her uh, trip to Singapore. She was asked. There was Terrible. that awkward moment. She she had her, her, her cackle or her giggle or whatever it is when she's uncomfortable and nervous to take a question. But otherwise, why? In the role of vice president, where your job is to show support for the president's policies, both publicly and, of course, in conversation behind closed doors with world leaders, et cetera. Why have we not heard from her? I'm actually going to tally count what it has been, seconds, minutes, since since the Taliban started to take over Afghanistan. Why has she been absent? And this? a couple of things. You know, Mike Pence never backed out. Mike Pence knew the issues uh, backwards and forwards, but he works for, with the president, and he's not going to contradict him. And I thought he was as loyal 
as the day is long. Nobody doubted Al Gore knew the issues. No one doubted that um, no one doubted that uh, Mike Pence knew the issues. If Elizabeth Warren was selected, no doubt about it. With she knows this stuff backwards and forwards, she would have had a hard time disagreeing with uh, not disagreeing with the president of the United States. But she would have helped alleviate the pressure for a guy that does not do well in interviews and does terrible in speeches. He, she is not an asset. She is either out for herself or the, her staff, which hates each other. Mm-hmm. Those stories are two, two or three different stories about how the staff hates each other. It's a poisonous atmosphere. Or they say she does not know. We have to keep her away like McCain kept Sarah Palin away. Well, I'm, I'm not here to question whether or not she knows the issues. That I don't think she does. That certainly could be, that could be the point. Um, but it also may be that she doesn't support the policy or she doesn't obviously like the result. Of like the, policy. the result is more like um, I think that's that. So I think we're left today with two things. One, uh, we're all concerned that we're leaving Americans behind. And two, what does life look like after this exit? I, I mean, you have you have a full terrorist takeover of a country now. Uh, $85 billion in weaponry, equipment, uh, uh, trucks. They have access to all of our crazy high-tech um, military equipment, communications equipment, drones. I mean, Brian is endless and it is boggling to see uh, what they have at their disposal now. So we're all left wondering what our homeland security is and what is the threat now here to us at home? And of course, our allies are concerned as well. And back to your original question of how do we get our people out? Well, a lot of people think it's going to be money. Remember the pallet to cash with the Iranian deal? We wouldn't have known that had Iran TV not broadcast that. And then we picked it up. And now we say, I could just see them saying right now we have $5 billion frozen of theirs. Same way they'll say, listen, it's their money. Uh, we're going to pretend like it's not ransom. Laura Logan has another theory, and it, it's pretty scary. Cut 21. While all of this is going on, what we're missing is something absolutely catastrophic, which is that the United States government appears to have already given the Taliban an assurance that they will recognize their Islamic emirate. And, you know, the Islamic emirate of the Taliban is uh, is the caliphate. It, when, when it comes to al-Qaeda and ISIS and everything, we think of the caliphate only as being in Raqqa, because ISIS made a big show about it. But if you actually study al-Qaeda's works, and you see how they have functioned as a clandestine intelligence organization. Their goal has been to send their ideology all over the world, and they are celebrating now. Do you think he's prepared to recognize the Taliban? Do you think they're prepared to do that? So I think Joe Biden, he certainly recognizes the Taliban, recognizes them as a terrorist organization. Does he recognize the fact that they are going to grow in strength by the hour, by the day? Are they going to be the legitimate government in America's eyes? God bless us if we do. Um, it's, It's hard to believe the way in which we exited this war 20 years I weep for those parents. You saw the two dads on Hannity last night. Man, Brian, I just, every time, the mother who dropped to her knees at the at the the casket of her son that had just come home, this is a brutal, brutal time for America. I mean, I know so many people with young kids who are trying to take, take their kids through this and explain what's happening right now. I see the veterans crisis line below Joey Jones on our TV screen right now, and it's it's just a brutal, you heard the stories. Right. Um, I mean, they, they hurt. They hurt as but, a result of that. And Sandra, politicians lost this war. Our men and women were not losing the war. Every battle we confronted them with, we took them out with technology, with flat-out war fighting, they, through the urban environments. America prevailed every step of the way. They lost the Afghan troops, 69,000 lost. We lost over 2,600 
Uh, but over 20 years, one is too many. I get it. But if you have a war for 20 years and lose 2,600, you're doing pretty well. You mentioned these Gold Star families. Kathy McCollum was on a radio show. He's a good friend, Andrew Wilkow, the Wilkow Majority on Sirius. Mm-hmm. And here's what she said about her son Riley losing his life. Cut 42. Genius child, uh, an IQ of 156. He could have done anything he wanted to do in the military. And he chose to be a Marine sniper. But I never thought in a million years he would die for nothing, for nothing, because a feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap decided he wanted a photo op on September 11th. Every Democrat that's listening, you did this to my son to prop up a disgusting human being. Uh, I have chills. Beyond angry. I have chills when I hear that, and every time I hear that. Uh, We have on the show today Peter Meyer, the congressman, uh, member of Homeland Security Committee uh, and Foreign Affairs, by the way. He was the congressman, uh, along with Seth Moulton. Uh, They thought to accurately conduct oversight that they needed to be on the ground there. There I like that they did it. I heard you say that, and that was interesting. I'm going to ask him about it. It's the first time I've had him on our show since, um, since that trip happened and since he's explained or they've explained themselves. Um, so I look forward to talking to him about the obviously the events of the day, but kind of what did he see there, you know? And what are we going to do about oversight of this decision and how we how we executed this evacuation? So the Washington Post story, Jennifer Griffin had an interesting take on it. I'll share it with you. She said that the, she understands why the Pentagon didn't want Kabul. And just to reframe it, the Washington Post had the story on Sunday, and no one's really disputed it, that the Taliban was shocked that they were walking right through these cities. And then all of a sudden it became clear that Kabul has been abandoned. The 12,000 that were going to fight their so-called elite forces left. When Ghani left, they said, uh-oh, I have, what am I fighting for? The U.S. has left. The president's left. What am I fighting for? So they took their payoffs and they left. They're not going to fight. So the Taliban picked up the phone. The guy, they, they got out of prison. And he said they called the general, uh, McKenzie. And he said, well, they said, either you take Kabul or we're going to take Kabul because the ministries are all empty and someone's got to secure the city. He said, all we want is an airport so we can leave. So they provided the security for Kabul. Now, Jennifer Griffin said they would have needed 50,000 troops to secure Kabul Mm -hmm. and it would have been a bunch of Mogadishus. I actually talk to military people that don't feel that way. They felt as though we had 5,800 on the ground. We would have provided our own perimeter. We have our own way of doing things. We have a lot of a, we have a lot of equipment there. We wouldn't be able to do it. And the alternative, having the Taliban provide our security, how many people got rejected it's because the shocking. Taliban was doing check- checkpoints? It's still shocking. And you go back to the, the Democratic talking points that got circulated by Nancy Pelosi in the initial days of the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban. And remember, it was this administration planned for every contingency. They claim. Did they, they claim. Did they plan for Kabul to fall as fast as it did? No. The answer is no, they did not. I, I think it's appalling. Ari Fleischer, by the way, is on the show today as well, and I'm going to bring up this editorial in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Last flight from Kabul, a day that will live in infamy as thousands are left behind. Biden and his aides have been repeating like a mantra that there will be time for assessing responsibility for what went wrong and why after the evacuation ends. And I do really wonder, there's going to be congressional oversight. There's going to be tough questions. I do believe, Brian, on both sides of the aisle. But will there be any accountability. And I really, I really do wonder what the question, the answer to that question is, as I keep my daily tally in front of me during my show of lawmakers that are calling for resignations and impeachment. That's of course at the highest level, but why still has no one 
No one resigned or lost their job in the, in the wake of this debacle and this horrific execution of this plan. Uh, as we go to break, just real quick, I want you to hear General Ken McKenzie uh, say this about open seats on the plane. Cut 25. Look, there's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. But I think if we'd stayed another 10 days, Louis, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. And there still would have been people who would have been disappointed with that. It's a it's, it's a tough situation. But I want to emphasize again that simply because we have left, that doesn't mean the opportunities for both Americans that are in Afghanistan that want to leave and, other, and Afghans who want to leave, they will not be denied that opportunity. He said the activity ended promptly 12 hours before our exit, though we continue to the outreach. We were prepared to bring Americans on board until the very last minute, but none of them made it to the airport. They made it to the airport. The gates were locked. We have all these stories about these families there and were turned back. And also, I'm not sure how many Americans were at American University, but you had a huge bus full of students that got to the gate and were turned back. And others, we were talking to Michael Waltz and others, sent people to the gate and were turned back. And he says he's sitting on the plane wondering where the Americans are to fill up those seats. Are you crazy? Either he thinks we're that stupid or he's that out of the loop. Five planes that took off, the last five planes with no Americans on them. I have on the show Youssef, American University of Afghanistan student, studying poli-sci and public administration on the show today. Obviously, those students stranded after the U.S. troops there left. Brian, do you just wonder, gosh, the terror, the horror they must be feeling uh, after being uh, left behind and uh, being abandoned in that country, knowing the danger they face. Yeah, it's we'll talk about that when we come back. Sandra Smith's going to launch her show at 1 till 3 with John Roberts, America Reports. And then we'll take a short time out and finish up this hour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. A few more minutes with uh, Sandra Smith. Uh, She's going to be on from 1 to 3. America Reports with John Roberts. John Roberts over in Washington. Where a lot of action will take place today. Uh, Sandra, what do you think Joe Biden will say today? What do you think the tone of his speech will be about 15 minutes? I can't imagine him taking questions. Blinken didn't yesterday. What do you think this speech is going to be? Um... Some sort of clarity. I think people have way too many questions about what just happened. And it happened so fast. And this president has shown that he has no regrets. Jen Psaki told us in the White House briefing room yesterday that Joe Biden, while sad about the passing of those three uh, 13 service members, stands by his decision. So I don't think you see any change in that whatsoever. Hopefully it's some sort of leadership uh, as to what happens in that country going forward, uh, how we limit the spread of terrorism outside of that country, how we protect the homeland. I don't know that that's what we get, Brian. Secretary Blinken yesterday, 18 minutes he spoke, looked like a deer in the headlights. Jennifer Griffin said herself, uh, looked like a hostage video. He took no questions. And, And Brian, I keep watching the way the media is covering this story. And the media uh, outside of Fox News Channel even hammered Blinken for not taking questions. I mean, you've got all the competing networks asking the question, why would you not take reporters' questions on the conclusion of a 20-year war? You're the sitting secretary of state. We have questions. Answer them. 
Will Joe Biden take questions today? I don't know. I go into every single speech he gives wondering if he will, if, right. if, if he's allowed to, as now, he says. Now, when he opened up with facts about a salute to the House passing a reconciliation package mm-hmm. in the maestro of Nancy Pelosi on the eve of a pullout, confirming the pullout of our troops, I thought that was wildly inappropriate. Do you think he opens up today? And says anything except for I'm addressing Afghanistan. Do you see him? No. Well, let me first mute it with uh, reference to the hurricane. No, uh, because I'll tell you why. Because the White House put out that he will be delivering more remarks on ending the war in Afghanistan from the state dining room. I don't believe that we'll see him go into other territory. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. Wow, that would be remarkable. I don't I don't anticipate that to be the case, but I'm not shocked by anything these days. Do you think it's just a tick when he says they told me to t- call on these people, they told me not to take any questions? Why is he saying I that? I don't know, and it makes headlines every time he says it, and it just it baffles me that, I don't know, Jill Biden, Jen Psaki, <laughs> anybody doesn't get to him to say, at least don't say or broadcast that we're telling you that. Unbelievable. It is. Sandra, look forward to seeing your show from 1 to 3. Uh, it's an intriguing time to be in television and God radio. God bless our troops, Brian. And, and thanks for your time. I agree with you. This Thank is you. the Brian Kilmeade Show. You can get the podcast anytime, anywhere. BrianKilmeadeShow.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.